This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. We left in February, the 8th of February, and we arrived on the 10th and... In February, it is rainy time out there, and rainy season lasts from about December to, let's say, end of March, beginning of April. Sometimes it can start kind of earlier, sometimes it can last a bit kind of longer, and boy, does it rain. It tends to rain during the night, and it's like a downpour. It is so heavy, you cannot hear another person talking next to you. It is so heavy. And the frogs are out in abundance, and they're leaping everywhere, and you're trying to walk along a path, and they're leaping on you. And Louise is squealing because she hates animals, and (laughs) she's squealing, waking up all the kids in the compound. They're thinking there's something going on. Huh? No crocodiles in the compound now. Um, that would really be something else. Well, no, not outside. Maybe in the farm, the crocodile farm. They were contained. <laughs> or so we thought anyway. <laughs> so um, we arrived and it was so hot. Um, it was 40 degrees. Like it's really hot right now. I'm absolutely sweating. Ma fana beza. But I'll talk a wee bit of Malagasy later on. And... Um, it was so hot. Humidity was just unreal. The first day we had a shower, a bucket shower, and I went to do my hair. I got the hair dryer out and dried it. And literally, I was dripping with sweat, and I was like, Louise, we're never going to be drying our hair again <laughs> the whole six months here. And we didn't. But if we put up the first slide, this was home. Maison 181. Um, We arrived and we really did not know what to expect. Sometimes that's a good thing, because if you build it up in your head, it can either exceed or it cannot. And we didn't know anything. We thought we were going to live in some hut. (laughs) And they pulled up to this house and we were like, is this our house? And it was for us. We had our bedrooms each. We had a kitchen. It was amazing. And then I thought, there's running water. There's taps. They're just trying to fool us. They're really like trying to make it sound really bad. But it didn't work. The running water didn't work. So the barrels, if anybody kept up with uh, the blogs, I became obsessed with the rain. So the trick was, whenever it rained, you put everything out that could fill up. So as soon as it started pouring, I was like something possessed. I jumped up, grabbed every bucket in sight. We went out and bought extra buckets, and I was putting buckets out. And Louise was like, Rachel, calm down. It's all right. And I was like, no, we have to get enough water. We have to get enough water. You don't know when it's going to rain again. You don't know when it's going to rain again. And she was just, oh, I'm just going to go and have a shower and lift a bucket out. And I was thinking, I have to fill that again. I have to fill that again. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And like I was up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Louise would have been pumping out the Zeds. I slept great last night. How do you sleep? I was up about 4 times the rain was on, didn't hear a thing, didn't hear a thing, and that was how it went. And the water, the filter, um, was that wee tiny one there in the corner, and you had to put it through that. And the filters were like clay, so we had to wash them as well, because they became dirty. The muck that came off them was unreal, and you honestly thought, at times, is this water really clean that we're really drinking? But you just had to hope for the best and pray over everything. So, next. Somebody said about coffee. 
who needs Starbucks whenever you can roast your own coffee? Lighting the, um, lighting the fire can be a wee bit of kind of trouble. The locals, uh, the guards used to watch us in amusement because we tried to light it so many times and we're trying to blow into it and not blow too hard in case it blew out and the whole handling. Half the time they just came over and went, as a fad day, as a fad day, as though, please allow me. And we were like, Miss Sotja, Miss Sotja Betsaka, as though, thank you so much. <laughs> You've just watched us struggle here for an hour, but we'll take it. And roasted her own coffee and had to pound it too. Life was not like life was here. Nothing was easy. Everything was from basics. Not The only kind of thing that you could buy was coffee beans, garlic, ginger, flour. Flour had the mites in it, so we had to put it through this whole kind of process of making sure that they were all kind of dead. But in the end, you know, whenever you were having a coffee, the bugs were kind of in the cup. And how they got there, I don't really know, but they always ended up inside your coffee or inside your water. And half the time, we'd have been like, oh, there's another bug in our coffee. And I can remember turning around to the kids there, saying, like, what do you do whenever there's bugs in it? Like, and they were like, we just drank it. <laughs> Me and Louise were like, what? See, after a month, you couldn't be annoyed. You didn't have time. You were just like, let's just drink on anyway. And, like, we arrived, and Louise and I were very convenient people. We like to go for a wee coffee, for a wee lunch. We don't really cook, we don't really bake. For the first couple of weeks, I just heard Louise screaming every time she went into the kitchen. She opened up the cupboards and all these raw ingredients, screaming, ah, there's nothing good to eat, there's nothing nice to eat in this house. And I was like, Louise, the cupboards are filled of ingredients. What do you do with all this? Like, what do you do? So we had a can't cook, won't cook afternoon. The missionaries took pity on us, dear, love them. They had never met people like us before. <laughs> if you were able to do anything, we done it. You flooded the house, we done that, tick. Electrocuted yourself, tick. <sighs> Burnt stuff, tick. You got talking on the phone and then, you know, because phoning home was such a big thing, we'd have been talking away and beans would have been cooking for two hours because they were so hard. They'd have burnt. Next thing we were like, what's that smell? We were like, oh, the beans. Walked in, the kitchen was a puff of smoke. We are like, that's them beans gone then. It was just so difficult to get used to life. And it took us a good month and a half. And we started getting into the swing of it. So this is where we went to buy everything, the market. Market life was, rainy season was terrible. To try and walk about was just awful. Perfect. You were like your inner core was turned on and off all of the time because you were trying to balance. Half the time I just ended up in the mud. At one point we actually walked in. We were walking down this side street because we thought this will cut about 20 minutes off it. And walking into town was about a mile and a half, but it took us about an hour. It was awful. It was so hot. It was draining. It was so mucky. And we took this kind of road, and I don't know what happened, but I ended up down like this, praying, leg in the muck. My shoe was somewhere in the muck. I couldn't even see it, and Louise just stood and laughed. This is how it, it was just, <laughs> you just became used to being dirty. You were always dirty. <laughs> and my Auntie Margaret was like, like every time I saw pictures, you were always mucky. Like, did you really like it? Like, you were always so dirty. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> I actually really loved it. And so next, 
here we go. We learned how to bake. I was so proud. Whenever we made our first loaf, people were like, that is like the nicest loaf ever. And you know how to taste? This is what I learned, so I'll pass it on to you guys. If you turn it upside down and tap it, it makes a good wee noise. Paul Hollywood's all about that. It's all about proving the dough. And the kids love to be around our house and Barney. This is Barney. We had such a soft spot for Barney and Barney knew it. Barney, the hospital compound was like, how could you describe it? The hospital was over this side and then the missionary houses were over this side. So all of the houses were close to each other and Barney came over the garden, let's say, and I just saw his wee red head coming over and I was like, Louise, Barney's over. And we had brought these emergency stash of like home stuff that if we got a wee bit down, this would pick us up, you know, remind us of home. And Barney always found them. What's this? I'm hungry. Can I have this? And as cute as his face was, we were like, no. <laughs> because we were like, you never know when you're going to have a down day. And let me tell you, I had a quite a few of them. <laughs> but I'll talk about that later. And, you know, he had to find them every trick in the book. He was there. He was in our bedrooms. Oh, Louise let him into mine. She locked hers. My bedroom was upside down. Something else. And Barney would always come over. Rachel, do you want to come to our house for a cup of tea? And I was like, has your mummy and daddy asked? Uh-huh. We had a walk around, and the parents would have been like, well, how are you? I was like, hey, yeah. And they'd have been like, he's done it again, hasn't he? And I was like, yep. You haven't asked us around for coffee, have you? No, but it's all right. We'll just go and put on the coffee. And that is how life was. You were in and out of each other's houses. They were all such good cooks. The pressure was on. The pressure was on. And then more kind of short-termers started coming, and they blew us out of the water. So me and Louise were like, we have to up our game here, because we're letting down the side. So people were sending us, you know, the recipe. Tammy was sending me recipes, and I was like, simple recipes. Like, I mean, foolproof. And the missionaries would have been like, this is really easy. And it would have went wrong. And I'd have been like, it wasn't that easy. And they were like, Rachel, did you follow it step by step? Yes. Bacon soda and bacon powder are two different things. We learned that very quickly. We used to bake things. And Louise would have been looking in thinking, oh, this is going to be lovely. We're going to have a nice wee cup of coffee and a bun. And she's been like, it's not rising. I was like, it's not even cooked yet. It'll be fine. It's not rising, Rach. It's as flat. So like a chocolate cake turned into like a chocolate slice because it was that flat. The guards loved us. Anything that turned out really bad, we fed them with it. And they loved it because they have such a sweet tooth. They just loved the cakes. So next, we definitely improved. We learned to make pancakes from scratch barbecues we hosted and it seemed to be our house seemed to be like the hosting house for all of the team events that have been saying we're going to have a wee team event and I've been like great where's it going to be we're thinking your house and I was thinking are you no flies on you you'll not have to do any of the dishes and I've been phoning Louise and I was like we're going to have another team event great where is it and I was like our house and she's been like our house is going to be full of bugs because all the doors are going to be open and the kids are going to be running in the night. And so they were. So next. But the team was amazing. The families, there was the three families. Our team leader, Matt, um, he's over here. He was a team leader and he's from England. And his wife, uh, the doctor, and they had 
three kids, Barney, Jonah, and I forget the other wee girl's name. But anyway, they were fabulous. They were the best. They were all so lovely. And like they worked nonstop. If they weren't working on the hospital or doing plans for something, they were in the church. They were having team meetings. We were having team meetings. It was such, it really opened my eyes to what mission life was like for the families. And if they weren't doing any of that, the kids were going to school. So they went to local school in the morning and then the home school in the afternoon. And each parent took a turnabout to take them each. So they had an afternoon of English, they had an afternoon of maths, they had an afternoon of science. They had, and me and Louise just used to sit and have a coffee, exhausted, thinking, how do they do that? Like, we were exhausted and we were just working. We weren't doing any of the team stuff. We weren't homeschooling. We weren't doing, you know, the church stuff. And it was, and they were just nonstop. But they didn't, they didn't huff and puff about it. That, you know, nothing. It was just so, it was amazing. And they were just, like, the two of us spoke about them for the first month. They were like, they're so Christ-like. And they really were. And I don't mean that in such a holy, holy way. They were so Christ-like. Their servant hearts were just, they were just doing it. They didn't speak about it. They just done it. They didn't huff and puff and say, look at all I'm doing and all. They just done it. And it really, really spoke to me, you know, because, you know, at times, you know, we can get so tired and you can get just... Life is so busy, and out there, life is just, it is busy, but in another way. And, you know, the kids are non-stop. The kids just, the kids are so intelligent. Like, the kids were able to teach us how to make pancakes. Like, the kids were teaching us how to bake. The kids were teaching us how to make, you know, the juice. And they were like, you need to put more of this in. And I was like, how do you know this? I just know. And, like, they were eight years old, and I'm 30, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, and language. So our French, they were expecting fluent speaking. We are not fluent speaking French nurses. So we landed on the runway and Peter started talking French. And Louise just looked at him and went, parlez-vous anglais? <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> Peter just went, do you not really speak French? And <laughs> Louise went, un peu. <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> Next thing we were learning Malagasy, we had two weeks of intense Malagasy lessons whenever we arrived. We didn't even know we were going to learn the local language because we had this book to learn French in six months, perfect French in six months. We got to about page two and it never got opened again. In fact, the locals took it and they were taking it home to learn uh, the English, because they were wanting to improve there. Their English came out on leaps and bounds, and our French definitely improved, but wasn't perfect. We're not fluent, let's just say. But Malagasy lessons, glory be. We just used to sit at the table, and back of our teacher, dear lover, she had the patience of a saint. So <clears throat> the structure isn't like any other language I've ever learnt. So you put the verb first and then you put the adjective and then you put the person. So we'd have been learning all these and there was one afternoon it really stuck out to me and I tell this story every time because it was just so funny. So she would have made all these, you had to make the sentence so she would have drew 
like a cooker or a knife, and you had to say a sentence. So Louis said this sentence and finished, and the teacher went, who? And Louise went, who? <laughs> and Baco, Baco went, no, no, who? And Louise went, who? <laughs> and Baco looked at me. Meanwhile, I was like wetting myself at this point. And, Louise, and then Louise looked at me like, what is her problem? I'm saying this right. And Baco went, no, who? And Louise went, who? And I was like, who is doing it? Who is the person? And then Louise was like, oh, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. And Baco was like, Sarah, best and very good. We squeal laughing. Our language lessons were just, they were just full of laughter. Like we laugh so much. If we, if we done proper language lessons for 20 minutes, that was the height of it. The first half an hour was like a counseling of <laughs> how, how the previous week had went and how we had said something really inappropriate in Malagasy that we thought was so good. And all the patients in the whole ward were cracking up, trying to help us, shouting over to the other patients saying, no, 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 she means this, or it was just a sketch. But we definitely improved. Our medical Malagasy improved. Um, at home now, I'm like saying all of these words, and Dad's like, you're, an, you're back home, Rachel, English, please. And I'm like, asafade, as in sorry. And Rebecca's like, rolling her eyes, here she goes again, Daddy, off in her Malagasy rant. So I can say, Rachel Nuanaraku, Telpuluza, Irlandesa, Pitsabza, Miasa, Hopatale, Vovo, Mafali, Dimvulan which means my name is Rachel. I am 30 years old. I am Irish. I am a nurse, and I have worked at the Good News Hospital for five months. So I've been teaching people at home a few wee bits and pieces, like Anki Bear Me Tangan. And my best friend, Sarah, and my sister, Baki, say, you have to say it's so aggressive. So they're like, Anki Bemi Tangan. <laughs> like, they're like, nearly like, going to shoot you with the word. <laughs> but it's just Anki Bemi Tangan. So, so if anything went really good, me and Louise were like, Anki Bemi Tangan. And everybody loved it. And I got everybody booming. I had the ward, I had the chief of the hospital booming. <laughs> One day he came in to me. And I worked very closely with him. And first, it was a learning curve, you know, the language and stuff and all. And he told me, you speak to me in English. And I went, okay, very good. And sometimes he didn't understand the English that I spoke to him. So it was a bit of a handling. But um, he said to me one day, what is this thing you do? What do you say? And I thought, oh, my word. And I said, I go, boom. And he went around the whole ward, boom, booming the patients. And the patients just looked at him and was like terrified, putting up their fist, <laughs> booming. And like the rest of the staff were like, Rochelle, oh, Rochelle. And I was like, Sarah Bay, Sarah Bay, and very good. And they were like, Rochelle, we've never met anybody like you before. And I thought, that's not the first time I've heard that, love. But, you know, it was just... I really loved it. You know, you got down and you were working with the locals and whenever you got to pick up on the language, the locals really appreciated you trying to attempt their language and sometimes you did get it totally wrong, but you know, you can always act out everything. Handovers were a sketch in French. It was like a mixture, French, Malagasy, English, all in the one kind of paragraph. You could have said a sentence, one word in Malagasy, one word in English, one word in French, but they got it. They, they, they totally understood. And then if they didn't, you started to act it out. 
and it was more entertainment for everybody. You know, I don't think they've ever laughed so much, and they've definitely never met anybody like me and Louise. So next, this is our team, and this is the hospital. So if we go on to the next slide. So <clears throat> this is the courtyard. So my ward was here, the surgical ward, and then the maternity was over here, and then the theater was here, and then Louise's ward, medical, was behind that. So it was like in the shape of an H, and you could always tell what all was going on, and the chickens roamed about. The cockerels crowed, and the chickens were in and out of the ward, and you were chasing the chickens out, and I'd never do that in the Royal. You know, imagine a chicken going into the intensive care unit and having to kind of chase it out, trying to do a dressing or something. It was just, it was another world. But it became the way that you didn't notice the chickens walking into the ward, or you, it didn't seem weird. It became normal. And, you know, being sweaty became normal. <laughs> you didn't wear makeup because it would have just stripped off you. Didn't have any perfume. Louise would have phoned me and went, my fan I bet. And we needed a coffee. Like we tried so hard, but it got to about 10 o'clock. And either I phoned her or else she phoned me. And the, and the other staff within the hospital never answered the phone around that time because they always knew it was me phoning her or else, you know, the other way about me gackin' cafe, as in drink coffee. <laughs> and I'd always say to them, me gackin' cafe. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. You're a rerica, as in you're very tired. And I thought, you have no idea. I am absolutely exhausted. And that was only 10 o'clock. The ward work started at 7 o'clock in the morning. And you finished at... Night staff came on at half five. And... By the time you finished handover, you weren't getting home to six o'clock. And then you had a wash, and then you started to cook. And then most of the time, everybody came around to our house. And then you were up again the next morning, and that was how it kind of went. And it was just, it was brilliant. The people that came and went were amazing. Like, everybody was so nice and we all got on so well we made so many friends and like one of the girls actually came over because she was wanting to see us and she flew over monday night at six o'clock and flew back to england on tuesday at four o'clock like that is crazy after working night duties just because she was like i would really love to see you girls again and like, you were only there maybe for, like, she was there for seven weeks, eight weeks, but you'd done everything. You cooked, you ate together, you had coffee together, you had lunch together, and the friendships were amazing. And especially things within the hospital, there were so many, there was tough, tough times, and, like, the tough times were definitely outweighed by all the good times. But there was really days where I just thought, I can't do this. It's so hard, and at times you just felt like your heart was about to break. And there was one day, very early on, and it was a Tuesday, and Tuesday lunch was always with uh, the team. And you always had it cooked for you, so we loved a Tuesday lunch. Oasis lunch is what it was called. So 
me and Louise always said to each other, eat up as much as you can, and then we'll not have to cook later on that night. <laughs> so we'd have been hoarsing the food into us, hoping we don't have to cook again. And that day was... Uh, surgery was just mad and there was patients coming back and forth and there was this man and it was our first week working and my language was not good and on handovers Louise and I met after it and we'd have just stared at each other thinking we could be anywhere they could be speaking anything and we haven't a clue we don't have a clue what they're saying and um, my day got kind of worse as it went on and we went for lunch and the lead nurse said to me well how are you and I was like yeah yeah I'm fine and they got to know me very very quickly and and he said to me Rachel I think the honeymoon period's over for you and I was raging I thought no it's not I'm fine and I goes no no I'm fine and he goes no I can see it and yeah I think maybe reality's starting to hit you I think you're kind of hitting that kind of low now I thought I'm going to prove him wrong. <laughs> well, I didn't. The day went on and a vent flown, a lock is what they called it. It was so difficult. People's skin was so tough because they were out in the sun and it was difficult to see the veins. And in work here, we don't ever have to put them in here. They always have their art lines, which you can just go and draw off all of the blood. And um, getting the line in was tough. And we hadn't a clue at the beginning. And nursing students were there, and they were coming to you. And I got to the end of the day, and I just could not get to grips with the routine of the ward, couldn't get to grips with everything, really. The drugs were done differently. The drugs were completely different. There was protocols for everything. And I just felt so overwhelmed that I just thought I was going to crack. And um, I got to the end of the day and the nursing students came to me with this kind of tray and I thought they were asking me to come with them to watch them insert the line. But no, they wanted me to insert the line so that they could watch me do it. And I thought, Rachel, you've been a nurse for eight years. You should be able to do this. So I thought, right, deep breath, say a prayer, let's go for it. I got it in the vein but the blood was not coming and I was exasperated and the man didn't even want the line in. So the nursing student had to talk him into getting the line and then he thought this vaza, this foreigner, can't even get this line in. And I was wiggling it about and I was past himself, the sweat was lashing off me. These two nursing students were standing here. He was huffing and puffing, I was huffing and puffing. And then this other nurse that was keeping an eye on me was like, Rachel Manakori, as in, okay. And I was like, ooh, la blood. Where is the blood? <laughs> and, and he just looked at me and smirked and he went, you're not in the vein. And I went, Piero, fix it. And I just got up and I just walked away because I thought I am going to crack. I had to go outside. I had to get the fan on because they kept turning off the fan because they were cold. And every time I turned the fan on, they came and turned it off. Maninsk, Maninsk. And I was like, my fan, Abbey. And I was putting the fan on and I was like, Lord, help me, help me. Then handover came and it was in French. Well, sure, I could hardly speak a word of that. My French wasn't coming to me. I was drawing a blank. My Spanish was coming out instead. Like I was speaking Spanish in a French-speaking country. I was like, Lord, this is not right. And then, so 
I was sitting there and they were handing over in French and Louise came pounding around the corner. She got a vent flowing in. She was all pumped. She was, oh, she had a great day. And she goes, well, you're ready to go laps. And I just looked at her and I, and I just said, I'll meet you at home. And that was the tone. And she just thought, right, I'm going home. And she walked on home. And she was all psyched, walked in the door. And I remember walking up that path thinking, Lord, have I heard you wrong? Am I really meant to be here? I'm speaking Spanish in a French-speaking country. I can't even put in a vent flowing. I'm, I'm meant to be here to be a help. I feel like I'm a hindrance. I can't get to grips with anything. I just felt completely useless. And that is the truth. I just felt, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I'm here for six months. This is going to be the longest six months of my life. And I was so confident that I was meant to come here. I was, I knew God wanted me to come here and walked into the house and Louise was like, well, and I was like, hmm. I couldn't even speak because I knew if I had a spoke, I was going to cry. And I hate crying. I hate crying. Crying. I, I don't mind anybody else crying. I will let them cry. You suck my shoulder if you want to. I will pass the Kleenex. I hate crying because it makes me feel weak and then I feel out of control and, and, and I hate it. And Louise was like, Rach, are you okay? And I just turned around to her and I could hardly get the words out and I just said, I could cry. And at that, the floodgates opened and it was like this almighty came from my pet screech and Louise was like, Rachel! <laughs> and the two of us don't do with emotions. Like, Louise isn't an emotional person either and she gets very uncomfortable whenever anybody cries. So she was past herself. She was up pacing the floors. Oh, Rachel, I don't know what to do. And I was like, oh! And that was the choice. And then she got the emergency kit out. Tato cheese and onion. <laughs> Capri's chocolates. And I was like, I don't want to eat. And she was like, what? You're Rachel, you love to eat. And I was like, I don't want, I'm not even hungry. She was like, no, these cheese and onion crisps will really pick you up. And, she, and I was like, no. And then, and, then, and then she tried to tell some jokes. And the more I tried to smile, the harder I cried. She was like, I don't know what to do with you. And it was, it, it was horrendous. I have never felt so overcome the emotion it, it was just like it was like this like floodgate that I could not contain and that evening was the team meeting the bible study and Louise said to me with all the love in the world she said Rachel love we've got our team meeting tonight and I was like I know she goes I don't think you should go because if somebody says to you how are you you're going to burst into tears again and I had just about dried up and I was like I'm not going and she was like, well, I think I will go. I think she thought I'm getting out of this house because I can't deal with you. You're an emotional wreck. And I thought, great. Do you know what I done? I got the praise and worship music on in English, not in French, not in Malagasy. I prayed in English. I read the Bible in English, not in French or anything. And I had a great time. And there was this song came on, and it was by... Um, singer, forget the name, but it was like just, it summed up how I felt and it was like, even when it hurts, even when it's hard and it all just falls apart, I will run to you. And I, that just instantly in that moment was how I felt. I, I just felt like everything was falling apart and I thought, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. And it's only you that will be able to do this. And I prayed, and before Louise left, she said, 
your sister and Sarah gave me some emergency cards in case you needed a wee pick-me-ups, so I think this is the moment, because Tato didn't work. And I had kind of just put them over to the side, and I had read this, and our family, like, you know, the one kind of liners, and they're out of movies or they're out of shows, and there was this one thing Rebecca wrote, and it was about kind of courage, and it couldn't have been more spot on, and it was about, you know, the Lord being there, and, you know, the Lord will help you, you know, he is, you know, your rock, he is, you know, the strength, and I just thought, God, I need to hear that, I need to hear that, and then at the end, it was like, conceal it, don't feel it, out of frozen, does anybody recognize it, where the kid turns everything to ice, and she's like, conceal it, don't feel it, and like, Ada said that to Becky, whenever she felt fearful, I was like, conceal it, don't feel it, you know, just push it down, you'll be fine. And, you know, sometimes Daddy's like, you're very hard. And I was like, no, need to toughen up. And at that moment, I needed that. I, I needed that kick to say, Rachel, smarten up. You know, it's time to stand up. It's time to brush off this feeling. And that's what I had to do. And Louise came in and she goes, well, how are you feeling? And it was dry. There was no tears. It was a wee bit red around the eyes. I go, it was much better. The Lord spoke to me in English. I prayed in English and I sang in English. <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. One of one was lit up. I'm telling you, it was fab. I was declaring heaven down there. And Louise went, well, you're glad you didn't go to the meeting because it was in French. <laughs> I didn't understand one word of it. All I could tell you was it was about... Nehemiah. That's the only thing I understood. Nehemiah. Everything else hadn't a clue. And I just sat there and thought, I'm glad Laps isn't here because this would have definitely tipped her over the edge. <laughs> and, you know, and of course, then the team asked, Where's Rachel? And Louise just had to say, She's having a wee bit of a tough day. Well, then they sent home these blue books, you know, whenever you're having a blue day. And they were being so nice. Then I started crying whenever she got back because they were so nice. And then the phone the following day, How are you? And then I started crying over the phone. I was like, this is not me. I don't want you to think I'm this emotional wreck. Madagascar's breaking me. And they were like, but it's okay. And I was like, it is not. This is terrible. I'm standing in my hall again crying. And, you know, Madagascar, it has definitely changed me in so many ways. It's broken me, but I've learned so many things like cooking, baking. You know, I've learned more about myself about, you know, it's okay to cry. And I know it is. I know it is. But, you know, the reality of doing it, it's just still a bit frightening. I still don't like it. But, you know, let's move on. Next. <laughs> let's pass. So this is my ward. So as I said, the shifts started at seven o'clock in the morning and handover happened then. And then the ward meetings started at half seven. So they would have sang a song out of the hymn book in Malagasy. And the gospel message was always um, heard. And it was either a member of the staff of the ward or a person from the radio station came or the pastor. And there was a service in my ward. There was a service in Louise's ward in maternity. And you couldn't have not have heard it. And it was fabulous. The singing was just amazing. Their voices, their voices were just like heaven. It was like I was standing and like, of course, you know, they always looked at me because I always tried to mouth, you know, 
the words, even though whenever they were going like this, I was up and down like a dinger. I was nowhere near in time or anything. And, but it was amazing. And, you know, the patients heard it and it was fabulous. It really was. And the patients were prayed with and it was just not what I'm used to here. And it was just normal. It was fabulous. And you got to talk to them and they'd have been like, Vaza, as in, why are you here? And you got to talk to them and, well, I couldn't tell them that. I had to get help. So I'd have been like, Edemois, help me. And the staff were just amazing. The staff were so good. And like, they'd have been talking to the patients about the Lord. And, you know, there is more slides coming up. And there were certain patients that, touched my heart. Louise has her own stories. And this boy, Narcisse, he is about nine years old. And he fell out of a tree. And he stayed at home for a week. And his hip was shattered. His leg was a complete mess. And he stayed at home. So the hospital is well known to be one of the best hospitals in the area, the country even. But the white people, the locals think the white people want to steal the organs. So they'll stay where they live. They'll go to their local people to help them. The ancestors is a big thing there. Worship there. If you get ill, the first thing they think is because they've upset the people who's already passed on. So they'll go to the elder within the living area and they'll try and contact the dead to try and work out what they have done to upset the family because the child's been ill or the mother's got ill. So they will not come to hospital right away. And this is such a problem because sometimes by the time they reach us, it's too late. The infection's taken over, malaria's taken a grip, it's in the end stage, whereas if they had a came at the very beginning, they could have made it, they would have had to stay in hospital maybe for a week, two weeks, but they would have been okay. Not, you know, them all, obviously, but there wouldn't ha have been as many, and the medical ward saw a lot kind of, more that they had the malaria cases, meningitis cases, mm -hmm. kids, babies. It was heartbreaking, and that was one part of it that was so hard because you just thought, why didn't you come to hospital? Why didn't you come? We could have helped you. And they were like, you know, the witch doctor said this, and, you know, they said to do this, and none of it worked, obviously. And, you know, at times you just think, but there's a hospital, and you know it's good, and you know that we help people because you've heard of it, you know. And, but they're so ingrained in what they've been taught, and, you know, so Narcisse stayed at home for a week. So by the time he was then carried, it took his family two days to carry him. And I mean two days, night, day, they didn't stop. And the ambulance that was in, you know, uh, the slideshow at the beginning, that's truly what they carry people on. 
and a helicopter is what it's called too. And whenever they're marching there, like warriors going to war, and you would not get in their way, all they have in their mind is, this is my loved one, this is my neighbor, and they will go, and they will not stop. Even if they're hungry, even if they're thirsty, they will keep going until they reach help. And at times, whenever they get to us, the patients all already passed on. And it is so sad, and it's so heartbreaking. And Narcisse came in, and his pain was awful. He screeched the ward down. There was morphine, and morphine was only used for the extreme kind of cases, so we had to give it to him. And his leg was shattered that bad that the locals were contacting people in the UK needing help because they didn't know what to do. It was just such a mess. And they took him in and they were in theater for 12 hours. And God worked mightily, like from rods and bolts that didn't fit, they fitted. And it was amazing. And he was in from maybe my third week in. And on the second last day that I was leaving, he was heading home. And it was like the most amazing thing ever. And you know, whenever people are in hospital, they, they like to have a rest because life is hard. Life is so hard there and um, they just want to lie there and not move. So they think they can't move at all. Well, I got them up. I was doing exercises classes in the morning. It was like, right, come on, and boom, sit up. And they were like, vaza. And I was like, asafade, and boom. And they just looked at me. So then I had to get a local staff member in to say, yes, she means it, get up. <laughs> she is not going to stop until she gets you up. And like, you know, to get this boy home at nine years old, he just sat there and his bones were constricting. He, oh, he was wasting away. And like I had been saying, humana, humana, you know, as in eat, you need to eat a lot. You need to build up, you know, your strength. And um, he went home and his dad did not leave his side. The family care for the loved ones and they do everything for them. They wash them, they feed them, they toilet them, they sleep underneath the beds every evening. So night duty is unreal. There's mosquito nets down over all of the patients and then the relatives are all over the floor. So you're literally tiptoeing around the ward trying to like just not step on anybody. And they will be there at their back and call. It is incredible. And like from seeing it, like, it was love, it was pure love that like, made them sit up for hours upon hours and then they went and cooked and then they brought them food first. They didn't eat, they held off until their loved one who was sick had enough food and it was incredible. You know, it was just such a, it really touched me. And the next patient, this was shortly after I had the meltdown. And the team thought this was going to tip me over the edge again. And they were like, oh, Rachel. Um, this was um, about a month in. And um, it was towards the end of the day. And I was running around. There was medications needing needed. There was dressings needing done. There was patients coming in and out. And I was past it. There was so much to do. And next thing, this baby was handed to me. And I was like, Mana Corey, as in, is everything OK? And they said, look. And I 
pulled it back, and this baby was just born. And as soon as it was born, the friend's mother walked until it until they arrived to us, and that lady was absolutely shattered. She ran the whole way. The intestines were on the outside of the baby, and I just looked at this baby who looked totally perfect whenever I didn't pull back, you know, all of the covers, and I was just like, oh my word, what am I meant to do with this? And I got the surgeons around, we got the doctors around, Louise came around and was like, right, are you ready to go? And I was like, come and see this, you will not believe what has just came in. And this is what happened, you know, if Louise had a case in that was like unreal, she'd have phoned me and been like, you need to come here, you need to see this, you know. And it was just unbelievable, the cases that came through the door and um, we talked about trying to take the baby back and to try and cover up, but we didn't have the, we didn't have the, what's the word, the equipment. We didn't have what we needed. Like that baby needed to be flown to London to uh, the specialist hospital. And even at that, they said the baby probably wouldn't make it. And the baby stayed in hospital for a couple of days and then they took it home. Taking a patient home, if they knew the baby or the lady or the man wasn't about to make it, they wanted to bring their loved ones home because it was such an important aspect of the Malagasy culture to um, die at home. And we struggle with this because sometimes we thought they brought them home too soon. Whenever, if they had had a few more days in hospital, they could have turned around and then you know, they could have made it, and it broke our hearts. You know, it was so difficult, and there were so many times that you pleaded with the families, you pleaded with them, please stay, please do not go home, you can do this, you know, and they just saw it as, no, it's not gonna turn around, it's not gonna happen, and we'll be taking them home. And there were so many times your heart just broke because you just thought, Lord, why? And But you couldn't focus on that, one, because you were helping so many people. Like it was serving such a vast area. And this baby was in, um, that baby was born premature and we taught the parents how to feed it. And the parents were just elated that they were able to do it, to do the NG feeding. And that baby made it. And the baby went home like a couple of weeks later, like we were so far out of our comfort zones, it was scary. Like, I don't work with babies, like babies that you could fit into the size of your hand. And I was having to put, you know, the NG tubes in, having to try and put lines into babies, and I struggled to put them into adults. Like, I was being tested beyond my capacity. And, but God give you the strength, God give you the grace. And there's so many days that you just thought, I can't do this, I cannot do this. And you were walking around, and there was one day I was walking around because this baby was so sick and the mother was exhausted and she just needed sleep. And I was like, I will take the baby. So I was walking around with this baby, doing medications, doing everything, and next thing the baby peed on me. And I was like, I'm on next thing the granny jumped up and the whole ward started laughing and it was like pure entertainment and I was like glory be and that happened to us so many times you know and but you wanted to help as much as you could and even if that just allowed the parents an hour to just rest without having to think is everything okay you know I was more than happy to do that so the next the next 
this baby is on the prayer card that I have. And this happened about three weeks before we left. Um, she was on her mother's back. So the babies are held here and they're tied on. And they were at the market. And somehow, I don't know what happened, the baby fell out. And the market is like a quarry. There's just dips and rocks and everything. And the baby smacked their head and was unconscious. And the mother ran to the hospital, ran in, and they were just like, the baby is unresponsive. The baby's dead. And they ran out. And the doctor that I had been working alongside with, Matt, they took it in, they tried to put a lock in, and suddenly the baby came back to life and started squealing. And it was the most joyous squeal we had ever heard. Because like this baby was like the most beautiful baby ever. And the baby was on responsive. Now you can look at that whatever way you want, but I believe God totally worked a miracle there because there was no response whatsoever. We all started praying and next thing the baby woke up. And every time I passed, so they were like, you're a neurospecialist, so this is your thing. And I was like, with adults, they can tell me if they're orientated or not. This is a baby. How am I meant to know this? And every time I passed the baby, the baby was eating, the baby was playing, the baby was laughing at me, the baby was smiling at me. And it done my heart so much good. And she then was transferred over to Louise's ward because we needed another bed. And she went home a couple of days later, perfectly well and fine and it was amazing and it was stories that 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 really done you it just encouraged you to keep on keeping on so the next patient this wee girl she has a tumor on the side of her mouth and Mercy Ship started linking up with the hospital and it was amazing how it all kind of happened. And um, they are possibly gonna be going on to the ship. They're waiting for the test results to come back to make sure that everything's okay. They've had scans and if everything is normal, she will be coming on to the ship and I will be so excited. And you know, there's several patients from my ward, several patients from Louise's ward and to know that we have looked after them there and then we could possibly be looking after them again it's so exciting I just cannot wait and like I really hope and pray that everything is fine there that the results come back and they're normal and she's able to get that off because it's such a tumor and the baby struggles to eat the baby struggles to like even open its mouth because it's such a tumor and so that's that one. Then you have other patients where they come in and this man was in town with their, with the cows, the umbi as they're called. And the umbi are very, very aggressive. We had so many patients in and they had been attacked by them. They had been either um, hit in the stomach, like nobody understands the dangerous that these are. So this man was lying in bed and we were doing the ward round the first morning. I was still needing a coffee again. And I saw this shotgun sitting beside his bed and I was like, is that a real gun? I said to the doctor during the ward round. And he goes, 
yeah, absolutely. And I goes, is it loaded? And he goes, I don't ask any questions. Just keep on the right side of him. Well, I kept his pain medication going the whole day. That man was smiling. He was happy as Larry. And he was leaving. I was like, we picture, we picture. He was loving it. Look at him. Look at his wee smile. That's me smiling at that gum, thinking that didn't have to go off at all. But that became normal. Chickens coming in and out of the ward. Guns sitting next to patients. It was just another world. Whereas if that was here, that gun, well, it wouldn't even reach the hospital. You know, it's just completely different. And then another Sunday morning, I was working and another patient arrived in. Next. In a wheelbarrow. And I thought my eyes had left me. I thought, I am so deliriously tired. I am seeing a patient being wheeled in, in a wheelbarrow. But they were. And this patient looked so ill. I was like, oh my goodness, what on earth? And the chief of the hospital was there. And he took a look at him and he goes, you are very well. Go home. He was back in his wheelbarrow and he was being wheeled out. He was away home. He just thought, I'm just a wee bit tired and I just need a wee kind of rest in hospital. And he was on his wheelbarrow, not bike, and away on home. I was like, Louise, I thought he was really sick. And he's like, well, are you sure? I said, I didn't have time to even check because he was sent packing. It was just, it was unbelievable, you know. It was just like, never in all my days would I ever expect to see that. But that is what happened. And then... Um, if you show the next one. So patients come in, malaria patients um, were very sick. Hemoglobin levels were very low and um, they often required to have a unit of blood. So they would have tried their family to have a match and then they would have tried the friends and then at a last resort they would have tried us. So <clears throat> the first time as pastor said this morning, Malagasy's are so honest. And the first time that I tried to give blood, they were like, Rochelle, good, good, Rochelle, where is your blood? No fiends, you are so fat. <laughs> and I was like, you are so cheeky. And they were like, what is this cheeky? And I was like, you. <laughs> and I was like, I have very bad fiends. Oh, Rochelle, good, good. And Louise and me would have squealed. And they'd have said it to us both all the time. And we'd have been like, you are so cheeky. Oh. And then they'll laugh their heads off, and it's like, that's not funny at all. And anyway, so the second time they really needed this blood, this man was past himself because the first time that he tried to get it, he bruised me that bad. My whole arm was bruised, and everybody's like, Rachelle, what happened? And I was like, tried to give blood. Who tried? And I was like, Jean Pierre. <gasps> and then, and then, of course, then everybody went to him, You hurt Rachelle. And I was like, No, it's okay. And he, he was so nervous, he was past himself. Louise just goes, just go for it. Don't be worrying about it. Just stick it in. Stick it in. And I was like, I bruise like a peach. Take it easy. Take it easy. More and more. More and more. And it was just unreal. But um, that evening, a patient, a uh, wee boy came in with meningitis. And um, it was really nice because you were able to see who actually was having the blood. Um, so it was things like that that, again, wouldn't happen here at home. So next. So treats, crickets, fab. We loved them. On night duty, we actually requested to get these. So they're fried in a little oil with a little bit of salt on. 
and then you pull off the head and then you pull off the guts and then you eat them. They are like crisps, they're delicious. They're so nice. There's not one thing we passed up, which is why we think we possibly have parasites because there is not one thing that, and you know, the locals kept on saying, how, how is your tummy? And we were like, fine, grand, why? We were so worried in case you got sick. And I said, do you think we look like the t type of people that get sick? We eat everything in sight and there's no worries there. So next, the village work. So the village, we walked for about two hours normally on a good day. Three hours, and you always left very early in the morning because the heat got so bad, it was horrendous. And um, you left about half five in the morning, still trying to get us up. Oh, glory, it was awful. Um, and you walked, and the first time there was in the rainy season, and it took us three hours, and we were absolutely exhausted. We'd done rice planting, we'd done rice harvesting, but the thing that was just so amazing about it was that the Bibles within the art. The stories within the Bible became so real that, you know, trying to take the shaft away from the rice, it made sense. Like having to hold it up and then wait until the wind came and then the wind blew away the bad and then the rice just fell. It was incredible. So if you just flick on through these, this is the family that we stayed with and... <coughs> It was just, there was no electric, there was no running water. It was basic, basic, but we loved it. It was like a complete escape. And if you go on, there was times where really, we should have been doing a bit of work, but we just had a laugh and the turn around, next thing we had, you know, the rice things on our heads. And, but this is my chicken I got for my birthday. Animals aren't kept for pets. And there was a picture I had, and I had the head, and everybody was like, you can't show that picture. That is far too bad. And laps, laps tasted fabulous. Very nice, but the chickens were very skinny. There wasn't an awful lot of meat on them. And, but they knew how to cook them. And we always ate on the floor, and it was incredible. So next... Our village trip for the last time was a special one and we went to the rice fields and we stayed over. We thought this is amazing, this is just a once in a lifetime thing and they said we're going to sleep up here. So we went up to assess the sleeping arrangements, there was no door, there was a lot of holes. I thought there's far too many holes, far too many entries for snakes, for ants, and then I'll be trapped in there and I'll be squealing. Louise doesn't do ants and she'll be squealing the whole night long, we're not sleeping there. So we decided to sleep outside under the stars, which sounds amazing, but it was absolutely Baltic. We hardly slept a wink. They put the hair down, then they put the plastic down over it, then they put the carts at either side, tied the string along and then put the mosquito nets over. Like they were so, I would have never thought to do that. Next thing I was seeing these carts moving the umbi, the umbi were sleeping around us, there was dogs running around us. Never in all our days would we have expected to have been sleeping outside under the stars, which was completely amazing to that. But it was an incredible experience, but we never slept a wink, we were so tired. They made that made the coffee so strong the next day because the new RIs were hardly staying open. So after the harvesting rice, next, 
the church. The churches in Madagascar went on for about two hours, but whenever it's in a language that you can't speak and you can't understand and it's so hot, it feels like 10 hours. And it was really, really difficult. And it got to the point where I was missing church so much, just missing speaking in English, hearing in English, worshiping in English. So we had our own. And on a Sunday night then, there wasn't any evening services, so we had our own evening service. And it was amazing. And we had our podcast, and we took it kind of turn about to listen to one. And we had our time in the praise and worship. We prayed together, and it was incredible. And it was them moments that I just thought, God, this is amazing. This is so incredible. I love this. And, you know, it took a bit of effort, but we loved it. And... It's not that it became a chore because we loved having it. And church church was good because you got to spend time with all of the locals and they loved the fact that you were there and you were trying to get involved, but you didn't feel like you were getting spiritually met. And yeah, it was really good to be back in church. <laughs> really good. So next our team leader's birthday, he turned 40, and we thought, what can we get Matt for a birthday present? And goat, he loves goat to eat. So we thought we'll do one better and we'll get him a real goat. Boom was his name. And we got Boom. And we walked around with it. Boom was a character, oh glory. He really was feisty. And um, we came around, and next thing the kids loved it. The kids walked it around like a dog, Rachel Louise, Boom's here to see you. And I've been like, meh, meh, meh. And like we had heard it at night thinking, oh, the families are gonna hate us. This, this goat is keeping them up the whole night. And they loved it. And then for my birthday, they decided to stick with the animal theme next of chickens. But, you know, it was amazing to have my birthday out there, a special birthday. And it was tough, you know, at the start because I didn't have anybody that I knew apart from Louise and dear lover. She was like, nothing really I can do. You can't really bring you out for lunch because there's nowhere really to go. And, you know, but the team were incredible. And like, they were like, it's such an honor to be here, to have you here, to be able to spend this with you. And like, they were really meant it. And, you know, they knew that I was really feeling it. And they just made it so special and they were incredible. They really were. So we got to experience um, Malagasy in Dependence Day next. Van Cease is um, the night before Malagasy in Dependence Day. And it's the night for the kids. And they carry these lanterns around with candles in them. But we decided to put the torches in them so that, you know, it would encourage the locals because so many patients arrived in burnt hands, burnt arms, and you walked around the town and then you went and ate around the local kind of areas and the street food was beautiful. And they caught on that if they made it really hot and it was just out of like the fryer, we just sat on and just ate. And they thought it was Christmas. We, we just ate and ate and ate and it was beautiful. Don't know what it was we ate at all. Sometimes it's better not kind of knowing, but it was amazing. And then next, we got the honor to lead the hospital in the Malagasy Independence Day. And it was 
like such an honor that um, we got to march carrying the flags, dressed in Malagasy kind of outfits with uh, the head of the hospital, Dr. Adrian. And it was just so good. And then the next day was the hospital's anniversary and then we left. And it was just such a high to kind of leave on. And so next, what is happening? Um, so I knew what I was doing until August. And it was about March time and I had been praying and I can remember standing in the kitchen and I was like doing the dishes and I had been baking something. And at that moment in time, I felt this is what I meant to do. Contentment was a word that I had heard of, but I never understood. And it was a word that I wanted to understand. And it's not that my life hasn't been good and it hasn't been happy, but I felt content. Like, this is what I meant to do. This is what I'm born to do. And I just thought, Lord, right, if you want me to come back here, I'll do it. But I felt like there was more. Or Lord, if you want me to go home, I'll do it. I won't be happy, I'll be honest with you, but I'll do it. But if you have something else for me, you need to tell me. And the 1st of April, and Louise and me had been doing so well. Our secret stash had been really going well. We'd hardly had anything. And that night, we had opened up a packet of the M&Ms, a wee share bag, and halved it. Well, we had had no e-numbers. We were bouncing. We could hardly sleep. So we decided to check our emails. And the internet worked really well late at night. And Louise got the email through first. And she was screaming. She came in, Rachel, we got an offer for the Mercy Ship. You were tagged in it too. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, they've offered us a post. And I was like, and honestly, all of last year, I, I believe with my whole heart that that was what it was meant to do. And, you know, even from landing there in the airport, a Mercy Ship lady met us. And she was American. She was like, well, girls, are you coming here with us? And I was like, not yet, but it will be. See you later. And I just walked on past. And Louise like, Rachel, you sound like such a weirdo. Stop talking like that. Because she was just like, what, honey? And I was like, see you later. And But I knew within my heart that... God somehow was going to work it out and um, this offer came through and it was like just surreal. And we had, a, we had posted through all of the paperwork, we had done everything, we had went to all of the things that we had to do and we were approved. So everything just slotted in. And like, we were so glad because if we were trying to do all of that from there with the internet, we couldn't have done it. The internet was so poor that it was like God knew where we were going to be. And then people from the Mercy Ship were coming to the hospital and we were getting on with them so well. And we said, you know, we've applied for it, but I don't know if it's going to happen and all. And we became such good friends. And next thing, boom, we're on it. And it's just so incredible. So... We're on Mercy Ship for the next year, 10 months, let's say, because people keep saying, stop saying a year, it's 10 months, it is not a year, a year's two extra months, and it's two months you'll be at home, thank you very much. And Mercy Ship never really go back to the same country, and Mercy Ship last year decided last minute to go to Madagascar, and whenever people heard it, they were like, like imagine, you know, 
you're going to the same place they're going. And I said, no, we picked to go to Madagascar first. And then Mercy Ship announced that they were suddenly going. But they feel that there's such a need that they want to go back again. And it's amazing because we have learned about the culture. We have learned the language. We, you know, we, we will have a better understanding of where the people are coming from. And I am so excited. I am so excited. And, you know, as hard as it is and it will be to leave home and it's been an incredible time at home and my goodness sleep has been non-existent and packing hasn't even started but I am so excited because I know God has something so amazing and all I know is I'm on the ship until next year what I'm doing after that I don't know but I'm open to what the Lord has for me and I don't need to know anything more all I know is this is what I'm doing now and I don't need to know the rest of the plans because God's working that out. And I'm so excited about that because I couldn't have planned this. You couldn't write it. And sometimes we just sit back and we're just like, our lives sound crazy. Like, you know, it doesn't make sense and it doesn't make sense, but that's how I know that it's God. And that's how I know that this is what I'm meant to do. And God and God has worked out everything, you know. And, you know, even whenever we were coming home, we got this email saying, uh, the ship will not be arriving in Madagascar on time because something with the engine is broken. And Louise was like, oh my goodness, delay Africa mercy. And I was like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And so they're getting in two weeks later and we were meant to be originally boarding the 13th of August and we were like, no way, we couldn't do that. We'll only be home the first. We have to basically repack again, see our friends and family. We'll be totally exhausted. So they pushed back our um, boarding date to the 23rd but now the ship isn't arriving until the 26th so our new boarding date is the 28th so we are trying to change the flights to see if we can stay at home for an extra couple of days because we really love being here <laughs> and people think my dad's like so did you miss us daddy loves us and if I don't say yes it breaks his heart, but if I do say yes, he knows it's not true. So it's a lose-lose situation. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what I say here. You know, I know that I'm not going to answer this right. And he's like, but I mean, like, did you think about us? And I was like, well, of course I did. All of the time. I was like, no, not all of the time. Kind <laughs> of sick. But whenever I am somewhere, I am there 100%. Because you can't be somewhere and your heart be somewhere else. And your mind being somewhere else. Of course, there's times where I wish at that moment in time that everybody was there and that I could pop around and have a coffee or say, here, do you want to go out for lunch? Or You can't do that. And it's different, but it's great. And I know it's where I'm meant to be. And I know it's what I'm meant to be doing. And I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know what I'm going to end up doing. My aunties are like, so do you think you'll come home? Like, you wouldn't stay out in that wee Africa country, would you? And I was like, well, I don't know. But, like, I mean, you're going to come home. And I was like, I don't know. Oh, Rachel, like, you were so dirty. And I was like, but it's okay. I can wash. But it's not a proper wash. I'll bucket showers. But 
I loved it. And now, mind you, whenever I got home, I went and stood under the shower for half an hour. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Dad's knocking on the door. You're taking all the hot water. Get out. And, you know, being home's freezing. So as soon as Daddy turns his back, I'm turned on the oil, and then he's turned it off. It was like the fan out in Madagascar. He's like sweating. I'm like, I'm freezing. And, you know, but it is just so amazing. So there's just a couple of clips, if this is going to work, Johnny, of just, it's just going to like kind of let you see what Louise and I will be doing for the next 10 months. So that's what I'll be doing for the next 10 months. And watching that, Madagascar's broke me. <laughs> it so excites my heart. Um, and I don't know what I'll be doing, even if it's just playing with them, if it's just making them smile, making them laugh, that's enough for me. And I know it's what I'm meant to do, and I'm going to do it with my whole heart. And I really, really appreciate all of your prayers, all of your support. I couldn't do it without it. And please keep in touch. <laughs> you just have no idea what it means whenever you get an email through. And it's just normal. It's normal talk. Because sometimes you just want to get away from everything that's happening. And you love hearing from home. So for the two of us, that really means the world to us. So um, if you drop us a wee line, FaceTime us even, because Wi-Fi's going to be on board the ship, which will be totally amazing. And um, yeah, me such a bit, sucker. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.